Hello and welcome to Undercommon Taste, a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. This is a podcast where we stir the pot and lick the spoon. I'm Ian Woodworth and I'm here with my co-host James Daly and today we are going to be continuing work on our first character for our homebrew showcase. In our last episode we went through the race and we talked about the orc and by extension the half orc. This first character is going to be an orc and today we're going to be talking about the class. This orc is going to end up being a fighter, specifically a champion fighter. So we're going to talk about the modifications that we would make to the fighter class and to the champion archetype in particular. Now let's go ahead and talk about the reasoning why we chose the full orc. I think mostly it's just because it's something different. I mean, you can find the half orc in the player's handbook and that's fine. I think trying to see how well the modify for a full orc for a player character is a little different. We want to see how well what we changed will work to see if it's actually going to be a feasible class that we've changed it and made it actually playable because at the end of the day we didn't really change the half work all that much we modified the menacing ability and we changed the relentless endurance into death throws so going to one hit point when you hit zero the first time to getting a single attack with advantage when you hit zero hit points the first time other than that and i think we altered the starting attribute adjustment It was plus two strength, plus one con, and we did plus two con and plus one to two skills of your choice. Going a little more towards the half-elf template. Correct. So the orc, we ended up modifying a whole lot more than the half-orc, so I feel like we need to test the orc. So that's a big part of the reason why we decided to go with the full orc as opposed to the half-orc for this first character. And I'm good with all this. I think this will be fun. I think this orc can be a really fun character to work with. I'm really excited to see how it does on the table. Now, for this character as a fighter, this is going to be more towards Ian's strength. The characters I tend to play tend to be more of the subtle players or more of the magic users. If ever there were a spell thief or a rogue, I mean, that would be kind of my character where Ian definitely plays a lot of the more physical bashy type character. Yeah, I, I love to have a character that just wades in and hits things with a big stick. I like my fighters and my barbarians and my paladins. My favorite class of all of them to play is a cleric. My main D&D tune is a dwarf war cleric of Tyr named Oscar Stoneburner that we call Short Angry Godman because he has a charisma of six and he just walks in and breaks things and it's glorious. Where my characters, you tend to notice they were there after they left, hopefully. Like I said, I tend to like debuffing spells. I tend to like my charisma checks. So I can kind of like, here's the thing over here. Oh, wait, I'm actually over here stealing your stuff. I'm looting your stuff. Oh, by the way, I cursed everybody on my way out. Bye, have fun. James plays an amazing warlock. <laughs> Thank you. He really does. The last campaign that I ran that he played in, it was the 3.5 campaign, and he was playing a, was it a gnome warlock, I believe? He was halfling. Was he halfling? Okay. He was a halfling, yeah. He ended up, no, I think he was a gnome, because isn't it the gnomes that gather names as they go along? He was a halfling, though. He was gathering names like a gnome would, yeah. Okay. So that was just a little bit of confusion on my part, but he ended up being, see if I can remember it. Newt Magnus Shadowcaster, Ripper of Wings, Procurer of Boots. Yeah. Yeah, so as he continued with his grand exploit, we just started tacking name elements onto his name. And he, that was a really fun campaign. It was extremely railroady because I had eight players, and that was the only way that I was going to be able to get eight players who met once a month 
to actually get a game to play. It was to say, no, you're doing this now. But I, I learned a lot from running that game, mainly that I am never going to run a game with more than five players ever again. Party size is a really important thing, and that's a lot to juggle. And when we get into some actual DMing episodes, that'll definitely be something we want to cover. It's like, how much party is too much party? Which I think is something every frat boy should learn at some point in their life. (laughs) Yeah, and that's going to depend a lot on your particular DMing skill. It depends on which you're comfortable with, what your party size preference is going to be. Mine is three to four players, maximum of five. That's mainly a fight balancing thing. It's hard to balance a fight when you start getting a whole bunch of players. And that's fairly standard, but let's go ahead and we're going to crack open again the fighter. Yeah, let's get back on topic and start (laughs) talking about the thing that we came down here to talk about. All right, so the fighter as a class is actually really good. I love the way that they have it laid out. It is the one class that doesn't rely on magic, so there's no magic, mystic, energy thing going on. No, you're just really good at walking up to things and hitting them. And for me, that's always kind of made the fighter feel like kind of the character you give to the new person at the table, the person that doesn't want to take the time to actually roll up a character or to think too much about their doing, or if they're new and they're uncomfortable, here's a fighter, just throw dice at things and that's what you're doing. And so for me, a fighter always seemed a little underwhelming kind of boring for a character because i like being able to figure out how pieces of components can best line up together now actually looking at the fighter going through it as preparing for this episode i've learned quite a bit which is fun and a fighter might be something i try to consider later on maybe if you haven't considered a fighter before after this you would too the thing that i love about fighters is the amount of specialization that you can throw into them because they get all of the extra ability score increases so you can min max your stats you can buy lots of feats and feats are what are really going to make or break your fighter at the end of the day so let's go ahead and dive in i'm going to just go through the class features and we'll discuss them as we go start off with d10 hit die you start off with 10 plus your con at first level hit points and you get 1d10 plus your con each time you gain a level start off with proficiency with already i was gonna say so if you really want a beefy character unless i think you're rolling a barbarian a fighter's gonna be as beefy as you're gonna get so i mean if you want some staying power on the table that's a really good thing for the fight you know you don't get your d4 hit die like you do with a wizard or anything like that so your fighter is gonna hang around for a good bit well wizards are d6 now they they bumped okay they bumped all of the d4 hit dice up to d6s in fifth edition because they were so squishy right but even still you're fighter's going to stick to that board for a while. He's not going to blow away real fast. Yeah, if you want a character with a lot of staying power, the fighter or the paladin is really the way to go. Or the barbarian. Yeah, yeah, you could do that with a barbarian, especially with the half damage when you're raging. But so going into proficiencies on the fighter, you start off with proficiency with all armor and shields and with simple and martial weapons. So that's every weapon in the player's handbook. So you can do all the things. You can do all the things, which means that if you want to do an archer fighter, you can. And fighters make amazing archers. People always automatically go to the ranger or the rogue, but the fighter makes an amazing archer. This particular fighter, I don't think we are going to make an archer because of the racial ability that we have on the orc where they get plus one damage with melee attacks with proficient melee weapons. So we're going to probably make him a melee fighter just to take advantage of that racial ability. But that is something, an 
and as we talk about some of the abilities and things that kick on, that was something I really overlooked. Later on, as we discuss things, you'll find that a fighter, an archer fighter, basically becomes a mini machine gun on the table. And it's really, really kind of perplexing. You wouldn't imagine it, but yeah, they can dish out a lot of damage with either a bow, crossbow, or whatever they're using. I was surprised when we actually started breaking this class down. Like I said, for me, on surface level, fighter always seemed kind of boring. But when we started breaking it down, it more and more was like, there's a lot of stuff you could do to tinker and modify this that could be a lot of fun. The fighter, especially a high-level fighter, has immense burst damage. You can shell out a ton of damage in a round with a fighter once they get up to higher levels. And we'll talk about that once we get into the class abilities. So you have proficiency with strength and constitution saving throws. That makes sense. You're a fighter. Your whole thing is getting out there and hitting things and soaking the hits from other things. Yeah, that's what you're doing. So, I mean, there's no real stretch on that. Skills, you get to start off with two from the list of acrobatics, animal handling, athletics, history, insight, intimidation, perception, and survival. There's not really anything missing from that list, at least glaringly to me. Not that I'm noticing. I mean, depending on what kind of fighter your fighter is, not all your fighters are always, you know, a soldier. Sometimes they could be like a bar fighter or a brawler or a gladiator or a pit fighter or maybe you're just the guy who goes to the pub every day and likes to start fights because that's what you do acrobatics seems kind of off but then again if you were like a gladiator or a sports fighter or like a professional wrestler type thing then yeah that would make sense that you'd have acrobatic animal handling uh yeah if you were in the field so you were part of a cavalry unit sure animal handling that makes sense or maybe if you had like war dogs or something like that history i mean everybody's going to know their history so yeah i mean so these all seem to fit fairly well nothing like i said nothing's glaringly missing i will note though tools the fighter has no proficiency with any kind of tool at all which that's a little odd in my perception it really is and i would at least give them i would personally give them probably an option for say blacksmith's tools or leather working tools or something along those lines maybe uh, tinker's tools because you can use tinker's tools for repairing things yeah, any good fighter is going to know how to catch their armor, particularly in a pinch. You know, yeah. if you burst a rivet, you broke a strap. Worst case scenario, you're going to know how to kind of fix that temporarily, if not professionally. Yeah. So they should have at least some sort of tool to affect that. Yeah, every fighter should be capable of taking care of their own weapons and armor. That might be something we work with and add as we go through later on. There have been times when I have tinkered with the idea of throwing condition onto weapons and armor like basically giving all weapons and armor a certain number of hit points and you'd have to repair them to bring them back up to full hit points to keep maximum efficiency on your weapons and armor but that's a big bookkeeping thing and an alternate rule that we may touch at some point way down the road that is a fairly big bookkeeping thing this would be something we definitely do with a more advanced or seasoned party if we had that's something we throw in right with a bunch of new players though i will say even in 5e acidic damage like your dragon breath weapons or flasks of acid can and will break down your metallic armors like if you have chain mail or scale mail or plate it's noted that it will break down armor so you could see where wizards was kind of trying to start to go in that direction with things i really like the idea of having hit points for your armor particularly if they take a critical hit or something like that but again that's something we can play with later on all right so to get into the actual class features of the fighter starting at level one you get a fighting style 
and the fighter is the one class that gets access to all of the fighting styles. The paladin and the ranger both get access to some of them, but not all of them. So to start off, I'm going to go through and we're going to figure out which one of these we're going to go with for our orc fighter. You get archery, which gives you plus two bonus to attack rolls made with ranged weapons. Defense, so you get a plus one bonus to AC while you're wearing armor. Dueling. If you have a melee weapon in one hand and no other weapons, you get a plus two bonus to damage rolls with that weapon. So that one could be really good if we're going with a sword and board fighter. Right. I would even say this one would be good if you went sword and board, but even if you uh, had a versatile weapon that could be one or two-handed and just used it as a one-handed weapon, that would still, that could be fairly potent. Right, but you get that with or without that shield. You know, you, you use a versatile weapon one-handed, you can have a shield in the other hand. Right, and that's what I'm saying, because that versatile weapon's generally going to carry a little more punch with it than, you know, just a regular, like, a dagger or a one-handed mace or something. But all of your bigger-hitting one-handed weapons are versatile. So, okay. So your war hammers and your battle axes and your long swords, they're all versatile weapons. And they tend to be 1d8, 1d10 on the damage. But anyway... So next is great weapon fighting. So if you roll a one or two on a damage die when you make an attack with a two-handed weapon, you can re-roll it and use the new roll. The weapon must have two-handed or versatile property. So that's a really good one for a melee fighter, especially since your two-handed weapons are going to have the bigger damage die. So you can deal more reliable damage with a great weapon fighting. Right, and when you think you're rolling a d20, if you eliminate one and two, then you're basically giving yourself an extra 10% chance to hit. No, no, this is only on damage. No, it says when you roll a one, oh, on damage, okay, yeah, never mind. On damage die, yeah. Completely negate that. Yeah, okay, never mind. I thought yeah. that was to hit. Because there's nothing as frustrating as hitting something with a great sword and landing a crit, so you get to roll 4d6 and you get two ones and a two. In your roll, being able to re-roll right. ones and twos on damage is huge, especially if yeah, you're using a great sword. That's always such a huge slump moment. It's like, I get to roll all... Um, never mind, you know what? I sneezed at it. Okay, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really intimidated by my sneeze. That's right. It's living in the age of COVID, too. Yeah, we all are. So, protection... When a creature you can see attacks a target other than you within five feet of you, you can use your reaction to impose disadvantage on that attack roll, and you have to have a shield equipped to do it. This is really good for sword and board type fighters, especially if you're going to be the designated meat shield. This kind of reminds me of when you played old WoW, you had the three, I mean, you still have the three branches you could take for your fighters or stuff in WoW, your warrior class, whatever it was. But where you know you had your arms, you had your rage and fury, and then you had your tanks. I forget what the tank class was. Protection. But this kind of fits into that class role. Say again. It's a protection. It's prot warrior. Protection. Yes. Yeah, prot warrior. There we go. So this kind of that role. So if you were wanting to roll a warrior, or not a warrior, but if you were wanting to roll a fighter rather, that was going to go out and just dish out damage. Then something like that archery or the great weapon fighting would be great. If you wanted something more to protect your party and kind of act as more of a meat shield, take some damage, protect them from damage, then that protection definitely fills that role really well. And especially if you're going to be doing a lot of close quarters fighting, so if it's going to be a dungeon crawl type campaign where you're going to be in a lot of tight corridors where you're going to be within five feet of allies a lot, this would be a great fighting style to take. 
So as you roll your character, it's one of those things to try to think. Like sometimes if you have a group of people and you're just doing a quick game, then you can throw together whatever. But if you're playing with a group of people and you're planning out a section, then you need to take the time and try to figure out what role your character is going to have within the party too. It helps the party function better if you're playing. And it's something you, you a lot of times find, particularly newer players, tend to overlook is what their role in the party is actually going yeah, you can't all be the superhero nuker, because if you're all the superhero nuker, you're going to come across something that you can't nuke in time, and they're just going to steamroll over you. Though a party made entirely of bard can work. Uh, yeah, party of entirely bards, or this is one that I have joked about before, a party entirely of paladins. That could be really interesting, particularly if they all had different deities. Yeah, if you had different oath paladins just that could be a lot of fun yeah that could be a lot of fun and then the last fighting style is two weapon fighting so when you engage in two weapon fighting so you're a weapon in each hand you can add your ability modifier to the damage of the second attack by default any attacks that you make with your offhand weapon if you're fighting with two weapons only deals the weapon damage die you don't get to add your strength or dex modifier to it so this if you're going to be that kind of a character, this is really going to shore up your damage. Yeah, this, this is a good one if you're going to be out there just kind of pummeling faces, then you kind of want this. All right, so this is where we're going to have to decide on the fighting style for our orc. So our, <laughs> our options are for an offensive character, because I think we're going to focus more on offense on this one. Just the way that the race is set up. So our options are going to be dueling, great weapon fighting and two-weapon fighting. I think dueling is probably going to be pushed aside pretty quickly. I don't know that we're going to do sword and board with this guy. That just seems a little bit too reserved for the orc. I don't know, because, I mean, even orcs are going to have their point, and they're going to understand the needing of protecting and leading and stuff like that. Just because he's an orc doesn't mean he's a berserker. Or she, in this case, because why couldn't it be a she? But either way, our orc... I kind of like dueling, but if we're starting off, that could be something, and this is a great thing about the fighters, is where you have access to all the fighting styles and you pick them up later on, you really can adapt to what you're going to find out later. So let's put dueling off for now. Well, by default, you only get one fighting style. Uh, to start with. No, the champion is the only one that gets to pick up a second fighting style. That's actually part of the champion archetype, is that they get another fighting style. Everyone else just gets the one. So we'll you, nullify that then. Yeah, you don't really get the option to change your fighting style later on. I think you should, but you don't. Yeah, you'd, you'd really think you'd be able to. Like, if you spent some time training, like if you spent your, what's it called, your... Okay. I know in the, your, the official your your downtime or whatever. Uh, do it as a downtime activity? Yeah, and that's something we can tinker with later, too, is, hey, downtime, I changed my fighting style. You know, yeah. that would make sense. Downtime activities, that's a whole episode all in its own. Oh, I'm sure, yeah, if not more than that. Okay. So I could see putting off dueling for now. But just looking at the sort of character that we have the basis for in the orc race, great weapon fighting just stands out. It does, and it feels right. Yeah. Plus, I've got my mini already printed out, and so, I mean, <laughs> the orcs sitting there holding that giant battle axe. So, I mean, I've, or I've already spent the time printing with my 3D printer, so I guess I have to now, right? I suppose. Although, <laughs> when it comes to leveled out, consistent damage, a great sword is better than a battle axe. Because the, the Maul and the Great Axe are both 1d12, while the Great Sword is 2d6. 
So you end up actually balancing out a little bit better on 2d6 than you do on 1d12. Well, tell that to the person that made the print file. I'm just going with what I got. <laughs> All right. But we should at least talk about two-weapon fighting. Two-weapon fighting could be really good, especially early, because you get a weapon in each hand. You can use that bonus action to make an additional weapon attack with your offhand. And then by having the two-weapon fighting, you get to add your strength modifier to the damage on your offhand attack, which you normally wouldn't be able to. So that's you're automatically guaranteeing that 3, 4, 5 damage additional on every single attack with your offhand. So, yeah, the two-weapon fighting, I actually got to play a game, one of the last games I got to play before everything went crazy with COVID. And she was a newer player, and she played a dwarf fighter with two hand axes. And the first three or four levels, she could really, really dish out that damage because that extra attack each turn with the two-weapon fighting as a a battle type, she was really able to get that because she didn't have any of those negatives to her damage rolls or attack rolls. So she was really right on top. Yeah, but you end up getting outstripped in damage by the time you start getting to the two and three extra attacks around because that one extra offhand attack just doesn't really keep up especially with great weapon fighting great weapon fighting scales really well once you start adding in those extra attacks so this becomes kind of a flavor of how you want your character to play versus if you're thinking long term or short term if you're rolling a quick one-off or you don't think your character is going to get much above fifth or sixth level because you're just running a short campaign then two weapon fighting can be great but if you're thinking long term then yeah that great weapon fighting protection things like that even your defense which is actually a great great thing that extra one armor class comes into pinch a lot of the time yeah the defense fighting style is really handy i think my paladin that i was playing in your game she took i can't remember if she took defense great weapon fighting i think she took great weapon fighting yeah she took great weapon fighting that's how she got that crit (laughs) well she got that crit all on her own and then she rolled an 11 on her damage dice with her great sword she rolled a six and a five anyway we're getting off topic so are we going great weapon or two weapon on this one let's go ahead and go great weapon on this one okay we'll go ahead and go great weapon fighting on this particular fighter and start splitting things in twain i like it i like it too so the other ability that you get at first level is second wind which allows you as a bonus action to regain 1d10 plus your fighter level hit points and you can use it once every short or long rest. And this is a great little self-heal, especially in the early levels when you don't have a whole lot of hit points. That 1d10 plus 1, 1d10 plus 2, 1d10 plus 3 at first, second, third level, that is a huge chunk of hit points. Oh yeah, you go from almost dead to almost untouched and just like, blink, hey, I didn't even need a potion for that. And it plays really well into the whole adrenaline rush, endorphins, getting that kick and just having all of that fatigue just sort of drop off because your body switches into fight or flight mode. Yeah, I really like this. For some reason, I picture if you've ever played the old Doom games where you had their little character image up front where he was all beat up and then you'd find the health potion on the armor and you'd sit there and you'd be all refreshed. And that's kind of what I see in my mind's eye when I when I read that. All right. And starting at second level, you get Action Surge, which is an absolutely amazing ability. This is where you get your big burst potential for your damage. It allows you to get an entire second action on your turn. So once you start getting your extra attacks on your attack action, you can get double your attacks per round. So at level 11, once you get your three attacks 
per attack action. You can action surge and get six attacks per round. Seven if you're using two weapon fighting and get an offhand attack. Now you only get that once per rest, so it's not like you get to use that every round you're playing, but even still, that once per rest, if you need to get out of a quick pinch or finish a battle fast, that's a good way to do it. Right, but you get it back at the end of a short or long rest. You don't have to wait until a long rest to be able to do it again. And once you hit level 17, which I realize is really end game, once you hit level 17, you can do it twice before having to take a short or long rest to recover it. The only limitation is you can't use it twice in the same turn. And a short rest isn't really a hard thing to pull off in the game. I mean, just everybody, do you want to take a short rest? Okay, yeah, and it's like a 30-minute rest, so unless you've got a timer running, a short rest is a really easy thing to grab. You end up having times whenever you can't take short rest because you're in a hostile environment. A wandering encounter is going to come upon you before you can finish it. But in most cases, you do have time to just sort of sit down, collect your breath, take inventory on grab what a you quick got. Tank. Yeah. And short rests are fairly easy to get if you have a party willing to take them. So starting at third level, you get to choose your martial archetype. The one that we're going to be talking about is the champion, and we'll go into detail on that after we finish all of the fighter abilities. Starting at fourth level, you get your first ability score improvement, first ASI. And this is one of the things that fighters get that really helps them build out a bit more than the other classes, they get extra ASIs. So instead of just at 4, 8, 12, 16, 19, they get an additional one at 6th level and at 14th level. So they end up with a total of 7 ASIs as opposed to 5 that every other class gets. And so that's where you can start really building into min-maxing your character, making sure that you hit that 20 strength score, you hit that 20 con score to max out your hit points, to max out your damage with your big weapons, or to max out your deck score if you're going with an archer or a two-weapon fighter who's using finesse weapons. The other point where this becomes really key as well is those are extra feats you can pick up as well. So if you don't want to go ahead and just throw an ability score point, you have the option of picking up an extra feat. And those extra feats change the flavor of the character and the, the mechanics of the character so, so completely. And as we looked in, and like I said, as we started exploring the fighter more and more, when I started really looking at the feats that you could stack on top of each other, that's where the fighter really kind of became alive for me. And it's like, oh, I could use it to do this and this and this. And so it was kind of the customization of the character really came alive when you started thinking about how you could take those extra ability scores and instead just add feats in. Yeah, because there are some feats that synergize really well together. One cluster of three that works really well in combination with one another is Great Weapon Master, Polearm Master, and Sentinel. Because Sentinel allows you to make an attack of opportunity whenever a creature enters your threatened range. Polearm Master allows you to make attacks of opportunity out to your full range. Back to Sentinel, when you hit someone with your attack of opportunity, their speed instantly becomes zero. So you can stop them from moving in to get attacks on your squishier characters. And then you add in Great Weapon Master, because all of the pole arms are two-handed heavy weapons, you get your full Great Weapon Master bonus from it. So you can take a minus five to hit to add ten points to the damage of your attack with it. And if you yeah, at that point, and if you're you just land, mowing people down. Yeah, absolutely. 
So you really become a battlefield controller at that point. The downside is you have to blow three ability score increases to get those. So you have to choose between whether you're going to increase your stats or get this feat. And with the fighter, where you get those extra ASIs, it's less of a sacrifice to take a feat instead of bumping up your attributes. Moving on, starting at 5th level, you get your first extra attack. So starting at 5th level, when you take the attack action, you get 2 attacks per round, plus a potential bonus action offhand attack. It increases to 3 attacks per attack action at 11th level, and 4 at 20th level. And this is really where the fighter starts becoming just a monster on the table. I mean, you hit and then 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 you hit. And, then you hit. and I mean, by the time the fighter hits level 17, 18, 19, 20, really the fighter turns up. Everyone can go grab some chips and a drink or something and sit back because that fighter is going to spend like the next five minutes just pummeling stuff on its turn. It really becomes amazing how much damage output they have. And this is where, especially an archer, fighter really shines because you have a 20th level fighter with archery you know they're getting their plus two on their attacks you're probably going to have the sharpshooter feet so you ignore cover and you get to attack out to your full range without disadvantage and you have the option of taking a minus five to hit to add 10 points of damage to your attack well at 20th level you get four attacks per round so you get to fire four shots per round and then you can blow your action surge and make four more attacks so you get to shoot eight times if you have a longbow out to 600 feet without penalty. Yeah, it's just craziness. That's absolute craziness. And so, yeah, you can literally, as a 20th level fighter, if you see a dragon flying way over there, you can pincushion it to where it's half dead by the time it reaches you. Just remember, when it does reach you, it's eating you first. It, yeah. But the thing is, you're going to get two or three rounds worth of firing at it if you're starting at maximum range before it gets into range of your spellcasters. And so your spellcasters yeah. are going to get one round on it before it comes in and tries to eat you. And so you just have to hope that your spellcasters make it mad enough to where it goes after them first instead. Because, yeah, the guy with the bow is... It hurts and it's annoying, but the guy who throws disintegrate at you, I think it would view that guy as being the bigger threat. Granted. And then the last ability that you get from the base fighter is Indomitable. So starting at ninth level, if you fail a saving throw, you can blow one charge of Indomitable to instantly re-roll it. Uh, you get a second re-roll at 13th level and a third re-roll at 17th level. And you have to take a long rest before you get your charges back. This is a decent ability. It's not spectacular, but it's good. I mean, I would be like, okay, yeah, I'd be happy to have it. I mean, I'll, you're always going to want to be able to reroll a failed saving throw, but it's not. Yeah, especially, especially. It's not you, the highest thing on the list. Especially once you get to the higher levels, because there are so many of the spells and the spell-like abilities and monster abilities that require saving throws, primarily Dex and wisdom saving throws, which the fighter does not have proficiency in. They only have proficiency right. in strength and con. And while there are a lot of con saving throws, dex and wisdom make up the bulk of them. And so being able to re-roll a saving throw that you fail is really clutch. 
It can be. But I mean, once per long rest, like I said, it's good. It fits the fighter. It's not my favorite thing the fighter gets. I see why they have it. Makes perfect sense. Again, I'm, I'm not writing letters home about it, though. It does seem like they've skewed it a bit late in the whole build. I would have probably put the first one up around level 6 or so and spread them out a little more. Maybe 6, 11, 16 instead of 9, 13, 17. Potentially, yeah. But the ability itself... It's not a bad one. It's all right. It works. I give it a hearty resounding meh. (laughs) All right. So this brings us to the champion. And this is where I start to have some issues because the champion in and of itself, when compared to the other two archetypes in the player's handbook, the Eldritch Knight and the Battlemaster, is really lackluster. It's supposed to be this great athlete, this fighter with all of this prowess and this staying power and just a simple juggernaut out on the battlefield but it gets so outstripped by the other two with all of the things that it gets yeah if you went back to my complaint at the beginning of the episode where i said the fighter seemed kind of like the boring lackluster easy to play give to the newbie character then the champion is the shining definition of that i mean you don't really get any extra abilities you don't have anything to really tinker with you get some cool stuff particularly like your crit range and anything like that but there's nothing actually to customize or build your character or to make it anything different like one champion fighters another champion fighters another champion and they just seem dull right there isn't any variation from one champion to another and it is literally the you want to hit stuff okay we give you this archetype so you can hit stuff more good but there's no thought or inspiration behind the character it's they literally come off a conveyor belt and just flop right on the table yeah they really do so let's go ahead and get started into this starting at third level the first thing that you get when you take the champion archetype is you start to get a crit on a 19 or 20 so you get the expanded crit range Hands down, this is the best thing the champion get is that extra crit range. Absolutely. You double your chance for a critical hit. And it's just, it is the thing that makes you want to take a champion. It's the thing that suckers so many people into wanting to take the champion. And then they realize what they've done. And then they weep for the rest of the game. Yeah, because the way that the champion works is, all right, um, so I'm going to move up and hit it. Yeah, my turn's done. That's about all that the champion has going for it, really. But yeah, improved critical is really an amazing thing for third level. And I, or any level, honestly. Right. I love it, and I think we are going to leave it alone. Yeah. The next one, Remarkable Athlete. Starting at 7th level, you can add half your proficiency bonus, rounded up, to any strength, dex, or con check that you make that doesn't already use your proficiency bonus. In addition, when making a running long jump, the distance you can cover increases by a number of feet equal to your strength modifier. This is a boring, super bad milestone ability. Remember when I mentioned that you start crying for the rest of the game? It starts here. It's your seventh here. level where you're like, oh, I get my new thing. Oh, this is a complete throwaway. An absolute complete throwaway. Right. And we were talking about this a while back. And I really think that for starters, they should get this at third level uh, alongside of improved critical. The Battlemaster gets their superiority dice and proficiency with an artisan's tool. The Eldritch Knight gets spells and a weapon bond, which allows them to summon their weapon to their hand. They each get two things at third level. The champion only gets the one thing, which, while it's a great thing, it is still only one thing. And so I would actually start by moving Remarkable Athlete from seventh level to third level, and they get it alongside of Improved Critical when they take the 
archetype. I would be really okay with that. Again, that fits. Granted, that improved critical is absolutely amazing, but this remarkable athlete is so terrible that, yeah, it's basically worthless. And the number of strength, dex, and con checks that you're going to be making that aren't going to be governed by, say, athletics or acrobatics. I mean, you would be able to add half your proficiency bonus to your stealth checks or sleight of hand checks, but you're not going to be using sleight of hand very often. And you're probably going to have disadvantage on your stealth checks because you're probably going to be walking around in heavy armor. So what's the extra one to three on your stealth check really going to accomplish when you already have yeah i mean it, it. They, even they try to make it sound good and it's just so bad it's so so bad so the thing that we had talked about and that we had come up with was you gain proficiency with dexterity saving throws because the description says that they focus on the development of raw physical power home to deadly perfection they are supposed to be as the ability says, a remarkable athlete. And I think that a remarkable athlete would be able to have that reaction speed to avoid things, to avoid the hazards of battle, to be able to... You see them and you think, you know, they're able to weave in and out of combat come in hit and back out without getting hit yeah you're going to be able to tuck and roll when you see that incoming fireball so you get to save for half damage that kind of thing you'll have just the general training to make any kind of extra jump or any kind of deck save just because you are physically well trained now i still like the idea too as far as a combat thing not the full cleave as it were but i do like the the concept of if you've killed something or maybe if you've killed something with a critical then whatever damage carry over could carry over to like another enemy within five feet i still kind of like that we've gone back and forth on that again i can see where it could get a little op later on but it would just be with like a single attack not every attack i I don't know that that, might have to work and maybe a feat later on that seems to me to be a feat to add later on i don't think that fits thematically with the rest of everything that we're trying to do i got you and i can see that yeah so we're going to go ahead and we're going to switch Remarkable Athlete to you have proficiency on dexterity saving throw. Yeah, and another thing that we had talked about is I still like getting the bonus on jump, on your jump distances. So what I had thought was getting to add your strength modifier to the distance you can jump on a running long jump and half of your proficiency bonus to the height you can jump on a running high jump. This way, if you're a dwarf, you don't have to have the ranger toss the door. I cannot make the distance, you'll have to toss me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm good with those changes. And I think that fits the character better. And it kind of rounds out a really, really terrible ability that they got. And so that gives us an opening at level 7 where we don't have anything right now. And so the thing that I had thought about was, you know, the whole thing about a champion fighter is that their whole thing is focusing on hitting things with their weapon and dealing the maximum amount of damage that they possibly can with every single hit and with making sure that they actually hit with every single swing so so real quick okay going back you want to give the champion the proficiency with dex throws at third level as well yes i thought we would hold that off till seven that we should probably hold off till seven because otherwise you're getting a lot of stuff at level three well at level three you're getting an increase to your crit range and proficiency with deck saves and then the very niche things of yeah you can jump a little bit higher and a little bit further okay then that's okay yeah that's not too bad so yeah i mean it it was very wordy what we went through but ultimately that's 
the breakdown of it. I mean, when you compare it with the Battlemaster who gets a bunch of maneuvers that can trip enemies or give themselves advantage or give their allies advantage or yeah, the Battlemaster gets so much or, or anything like that, or the Eldritch Knight where you get spells. You actually get to go into the wizard spell list and just start picking spells. I think that that is an adequate compensation for taking a champion. So the ability that I had come up with for 7th level, and we can discuss this, is whenever you miss with a weapon attack that you didn't have disadvantage on, once per turn you can immediately re-roll your d20 and use the new roll to try and hit with that attack again. With the caveat being that you can only do it once per turn and the re-rolled attack cannot be a critical. I feel okay with this. And that makes sense where you kind of have that, it's kind of like you missed, but you took a, it's not quite a parry or a repost, but it's that you recovered the swing and you, you got something out of it. But yeah, no, so that feels thematically correct with the character and I like it. And to be honest with you, the rest of the abilities that the champion has, I'm okay with the way that they are. So starting at level 10, you get to choose a second fighting style. Personally, I think that defense would be a great second fighting style because we're great weapon fighter. We are out there with this two-handed weapon and we're relying exclusively on our armor to keep us protected. So getting that plus one to AC just because we happen to be wearing armor is really good. And if we are going with a great weapon fighter, unless we want to, say, have a one-handed weapon that we keep on us for thematic reasons that, oh, I'm in this tight enclosed space, I'm going to put away my big weapon and I'm going to take out my little weapon to attack. But In public? <laughs> yeah, I know, oh, wait, right? no. <laughs> but mechanically, you don't really have that problem unless you have a polearm. But defense fighting style is, if we're going with the great weapon fighting style, the defense fighting style is the only one that really gives us a bonus that we can use without changing the way that we're actually playing the character. Yeah, that fits. A little extra I'm not going to die today is always good. Starting at 15th level, your crit range increases to be 18 to 20. So you now have a 15% chance to score crit. You get three times more likely than anyone else to score crit just off of a basic attack roll. And you're attacking four times a turn, and I mean, you're just, like I said, at this point, you're just dishing out the damage, which well, is kind of nice. Not, you're not attacking four times a turn yet. At 15th level, oh, okay. you're still only getting three attacks per turn. Plus your axe and surge, but yeah. Yeah. Four if you're doing two weapon fighting, and then you're getting your offhand attack. But yes. At this point, you're starting to throw a brick of die at people. Yeah, you're getting a lot of attacks per round. And then the, the keystone is at level 18, Survivor. At the start of each of your turns, you regain hit points equal to 5 plus your con mod if you have no more than half of your hit points left. You don't get this benefit if you have zero hit points. So this plays into that theme of the tireless warrior, the one that just goes out there and just lays waste to everything around him and just stays out there laying waste to everything around him. I really, really like it. It feels like the thing that is the good reward for having stuck out with this particular path for as long as you have yeah i agree this is a really good feat i almost like this more than the improved critical it's just that you can't kill me no matter what type thing that's always a great feeling to have i mean of course once you get to these higher levels 
the things that are coming after you are going to be hitting you for a lot of damage per round. So you're going to get to the point where you're starting to get these hit points back pretty quickly. And you're actually going to be in a situation where you don't want the healer to top you off because you're getting these free hit points every single round. So you want to stay in that bottom half of your health bar. Yeah, and that, those healings can be used for, you know, the other more squishy players, and that that's kind of perfect. And that kind of goes into the, that's a very meat shieldy thing without going full meat shield. So I, I like that. All right, so to recap on what we're doing, we're going to leave improved critical alone. So at level 3, you crit on a 19 or 20. We're moving Remarkable Athlete to 3rd level, and we're changing the abilities to where it gives you proficiency on deck saves. You get to add your Strength mod to the distance on running long jumps, and half your proficiency to your high jumps. So the way that high jumps are is you can, by default, high jump up to your Strength modifier if I remember correctly. And so if you have a 20 strength, you get a five foot high jump. And this would give you an eight foot high jump at 17 to 20 once you hit your plus six proficiency bonus, which is still really huge. But the times when you're going to actually be making a high jump are pretty limited. Yeah, that's very few and far between. At level 7, we're going with, I was calling it Dependable Skill, but we can come up with a better name for it maybe. That when you miss with a weapon attack that you don't have disadvantage on, you may immediately re-roll a d20 and use the new roll. You use it once per turn, and the re-rolled attack cannot be a critical. I like that. I like the concept of improvised swing or something like that. Dependable Skill sounds good, but it's kind of that, oop, I screwed up, wait, I can fix it right now type thing. Uh, like I said, we can, we can workshop a name a little bit later. Victory from Defeat or something like that. Yeah. And then the rest of them we're leaving alone. Additional fighting style level 10, superior critical at level 15, so you get a crit on an 18 to 20, and survivor at level 18, where you recover 5 plus your con mod hit points every turn if you have less than half of your max hit points. That sounds good. So the last couple things we need to do with this character, if we're going to sit there and roll this out and put it out to be used, we need to figure out how we're outfitting them with our starting equipment. Right. So we want to do that, and we need to pick the skills, and then eventually we're going to have to name this bad boy, or lady, or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, we are going to have to do all those things. But we are, in our next episode, going to be going over the magic items that we're going to be giving this guy or gal and i think we're going to be doing two magic items each of us do one for each of the three levels that we're going to be testing so at 3 11 and 20 so we are going to figure out what we are going to make to give them and then we'll fill in the rest with standard gear sounds like a plan all right well as i said the next episode is going to be us making items for this character and us talking about how we're going about making these items our process in magic item creation i mean not necessarily even magic items some of them could be completely mundane items that just have a functionality to them that would make them more than just a simple item but in addition to talking about our process in how we do it we're also going to propose what we're going to give to them, talk about the features that we're going to put on these items, and try and workshop it a little bit so that at the end of everything we have six items, two for each level, that we will be able to share with you and give an idea of the sort of thing that we do. 
And again, we'll work on trying to see how we keep it balanced, how we keep it so it's not terribly imbo or terribly broken. Hopefully this will prompt you to kind of maybe work out, tinker with your own items. Because again, for us, that's a lot of fun of the game is getting your hands on and actually messing with it. Thank you for joining us for the Undercommon Taste podcast. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to your friends. If you have comments, corrections, suggestions, or ideas, please feel free to send them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. If we like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. You can also find us on Twitter under the handle at UCT Homebrew and on Instagram and Facebook under Undercommon Taste. Our theme music is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmaryccrowell. Again, thank you for joining us and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.